0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's epistle continues the thought of last week's epistle. Uh, both of them are from Romans chapter 6. In last week's epistle, St. Paul explained what happened to us in our baptism. Quote, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The part of us that dies with Christ in baptism is our fallen human nature, what St. Paul refers to as, quote, our old man. We might more accurately think of this as our old humanity, this is the part of us that follows the pattern, of the first humans in the perpetual cycle of sin and death. The part of us that rises with Christ in baptism is the new man or new humanity. And this is planted in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God's gift, this new life that allows us to rise above the limitations of our fallen nature. Today's epistle, therefore, is an exhortation to live in accordance with this identity that we received in baptism. St. Paul says, quote, as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. The word members is a little awkward. He's referring literally to our body parts, the members of our body. In our fallen condition of separation from God, our desires are disordered, and the various parts of our body serve or follow the impulses of sin. In our new baptismal condition of union with God in Christ, the Spirit reorders our desires towards God we are now able to yield our members, servants of righteousness for holiness. For example, in our natural fallen condition, anger can lead us to use our hands to hurt someone or to make various gestures which indicate their lack of value to us. When we live in Christ, the Holy Spirit leads us to lift our hands in prayer, or to do work that serves to glorify God and benefit others. Our tongue, when it is governed by sin, can be used to curse and criticize. But when it is governed by the spirit, it can be used to praise God and to encourage others. Each day we choose to yield the members of our body as servants, either to the impulses of sin or to the impulses of the Spirit. Thus, St. Paul is essentially exhorting us to remember our baptism, to remember who we are by virtue of our baptism, and continually act accordingly. This is what we do every week in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is essentially renewing the experience of our baptism. <clears throat> We come to the altar to die and rise with Christ again. We place ourselves on the altar with Christ and by confession put to death our old humanity, our disordered desires. We rise again with Christ as we receive his life through the sacrament. We are raised up to live in a new way, to yield our members as servants Of righteousness to holiness baptism established our new identity the disciplines of the life of prayer are the way we continually put to death the old and rise to the new we become what God has made us to be in baptism as we continually die and rise with Christ through the life of prayer The life that was planted in us in baptism grows, and it produces what the Bible calls, quote, fruit. This is an organic process that is akin to the planting and growing of things in nature. The seed of the spirit that is planted in us is fed by the body and blood of Jesus and by the grace of the life of prayer. And this produces new motives, new behaviors, and new virtues. As we continue in this organic process of growth over time, we become more and more like Christ. We cooperate in this production of fruit by our willing surrender to the impulses of the Spirit. We are saved by grace, but baptism does not free us from having to do work. Baptism saves us rather from futile work, from fruitless labor. The grace of baptism gives us new abilities, new capacities. The Spirit enables us to do what we cannot do in our natural condition. But we must choose by acts of the will to yield ourselves to the impulses of the Spirit. Our growth stagnates when we resist the Spirit in our lives, or when we neglect prayer, through which the impulses of the Spirit are strengthened. God does not force us to do his will. We must surrender our wills to the will of God. We must pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, that is, in my life, as it is in heaven as Jesus himself prayed in Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We must remember our baptism, but we must also look forward to the end or goal of our faith, the completion of the life that is growing in us. We are destined for resurrection and glory. Every act of surrender, every death we submit to in the life of faith only makes sense in the light of what we are becoming. We do this because we want to get there. We should yield our members as slaves to righteousness because such behavior produces in us a certain kind of fruit which leads us to everlasting life. We should not yield our members to the impulses of sin because sin does not produce anything lasting. When we sin, we get exactly what we get in the act itself and nothing more. And the fruitlessness of sin confirms the fact that we are headed for death. St. Paul explains it this way in today's epistle, quote, What fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. St. Paul's teaching here reflects a sacramental way of looking at life. Things and behaviors in this world have real value only in as much as they point beyond this world to God. Sin is sin pr- precisely because it is idolatry. It treats this world as an end, as a completion. When we practice sin, therefore, we practice futility. We try to get meaning out of that which has no meaning. The word St. Paul uses for end in the epistle is the Greek word telos. It means completion or fulfillment. The completion or fulfillment of sin is death. But the completion or fulfillment of surrender to God is resurrection and eternal life. We yield our members as servants to righteousness because we are aiming at that goal. We can only maintain our no to the world if it represents a corresponding yes to God and to all that he has promised us. The principal reason not to aim at things in time is that we do not want to settle. Contrary to popular thought, the commandments of God are not God's way of keeping things from us. That was the lie that caused the first sin and most subsequent sins. The commandments are God's way of teaching us not to settle for what the world offers, and then death. God wants to give us so much more and what the world offers can never satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. The most spiritually harmful aspect of our age is its captivity to time. <clears throat> the captivity of our culture to sin does not lie in any particular kind of disordered desire, whether it be lust or gluttony or greed or envy. Our captivity to sin is that we aim mostly at this world. We yield our members as slaves to temporal things. And when we do this, we get only what we aim for if we are lucky, and then we face death. The rebirth of faith and faithfulness therefore requires that we keep our eyes firmly fixed beyond time at the end of our faith, which is resurrection, new creation, and union with God and each other in Christ. We only say no to the world because we are saying yes to God and all that He has prepared for us, and we are not willing to settle for anything less, as the epistle says quote, "But now having been set free from sin, And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.